Let us turn to God's Word now. We're going to read the same verses that we read last Sunday morning from Luke's Gospel, chapter 8, verse 40, down to verse 56. But this morning we're thinking about the second miracle that we read here with the raising of Jairus' daughter, and we're going to think about Christ's power over death. So let's turn to God's Word. It'll be on your pew Bible of about page 866, or it'll be on the screens before you as well. So let's Uh, read God's word together. Now, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him, And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, do not fear, only believe and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Amen. May God bless to us the reading of his holy word this morning. <clears throat> Two wee things that popped into my head there that I, prob- I don't think I've actually um, prepared, um, so we probably won't touch it in our sermon, but um, they've popped into my head, so I'll, I'll speak to them just now before we start, because they're obviously important, I think, because God has laid it on my heart just now. The first is that in our passage, we see the two different examples of, uh, that, that take place. We see someone coming to Jesus for themselves in the woman who had the discharge of blood, and we see someone else interceding for a poor person. We see the father coming for her, his daughter. We see that both examples that, yes, we can come to Jesus for ourselves, but actually sometimes God places it upon our hearts to be bringing people before him in prayer, to come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I need you to intervene in this situation for this person. That's called intercession. And friends, that's what we're called to do as a church. We're called, yes, we're called to come ourselves, and if you've not come to Jesus, or you have something that's troubling you, or weighing down, bring it to him yourself as an individual. But if you know that there's a situation or something going on in someone's life, pray for them. Bring them to the feet of Jesus. That's what we see the Father do here. And the second thing is this, that actually when Jesus, and we're kind of jumping to the very end of my sermon here, but I don't think I've put this in and I'll probably forget it, that when Jesus heals and raises this girl from the dead, 
He doesn't ask for medicine to be brought to her. It's food. Why? Because she was now well. It was full. It was fully done. She didn't have to sit there and recover and stay in her bed for a few days. That actually Jesus had already done the whole thing. She had fully been healed, fully raised from the dead, and she was in a place now where she, she could eat. And what does that mean? Well, Jesus, that when he does a work in her life, he does it to completion. He does it to completion. That when he saves us, we're not just nearly there, but we are there. We're fully with him. He's fully done it. But before I start preaching on all of that, let's actually get to this morning's sermon, which is power over death. In our passage, we've seen two miracles take place. We, last week, we, we read about the healing of the, the woman who had the, the issue of blood for, for 12 years, and she comes to Jesus. Uh, and then we also uh, we talked about how Jesus' power has been demonstrated to the crowds, and also it's been shown to us through Luke's gospel. We see in the verses preceding uh, earlier on in chapter 8, the, the calming of the storm. We see Jesus' power over nature. We see Jesus um, free a man from demon possession. We see Jesus' power over the, 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 the demonic forces at work in this world. We also see um, Jesus, um, the, we saw last week Jesus' power over disease. And then this morning, we're going to see Jesus' power over death as well. Jesus is all-powerful. He is all-powerful. And we spoke last week about the context, just in case you weren't here though, that Jesus goes across to the sea, uh, the sea of Galilee to the other side. He gets there, he frees this man from demon possession. The crowds don't like it and they ask Jesus to leave. So Jesus then gets back in the boat and he comes back to the side that he'd already and originally been on. And we read in verse 40 that they are waiting there expectantly and they are so glad that he is here. They welcome him. Just, you can sense the celebration. Yes, Jesus is back. What's he going to do? What's he going to teach us? What's he going to show us? And in the midst of all of that and the welcome and everything that's going on, we read of this man named Jairus who runs into the scene and he falls at the feet of Jesus in utter desperation. Now we can't miss the importance of the details that Luke tells us about this man. He tells us that Jairus was the ruler of the synagogue. Now, we might just read over that and might not think much of it, but the synagogue was run by elders, and it was an incredibly important position in that day. It was one of great stature. It was one of great status, and you were held in such high regard by the fellow people around you. Because you're one of the rulers of the synagogue. You're one of the people who rules the place, the temple where we go to worship Yahweh. And they would be quite dignified people. So we read of this man running and coming to Jesus in such desperation. And not just that, but he falls at the feet of Jesus, this ruler of the synagogue. Trying to think of an example for you. The only thing that's coming to my head is could you imagine you know, the moderator of the Church of Scotland and all his robes and the stuff that they wear running and falling at someone's knees, begging Jesus to come with them? That's kind of what we have here. But if this person in Janus in that day would be held in such high regard, though, people would have been shocked and taken aback by Janus falling at Jesus' feet. He was one of the rulers of the synagogue, and he comes before Jesus in utter desperation. 
And we read of why and we understand why Jairus acts in the way he does. Verse 42, for he had an only daughter about 12 years of age and she was dying. No wonder he implores Jesus. No wonder he is begging Jesus. Jesus, please come with me. You have to come. You don't understand what's happening. My daughter, she's my only daughter. She's only 12 years old and she's dying. I need you to come and do something, Jesus. We can see just how desperate the situation was and we can understand then why he falls at Jesus' feet. Now again, it is very, very likely that Jairus would have explored all the medical advice and the physicians of those days. So we know that she probably knows how she was dying. We've, we've tried everything, Jesus. You need to come. And in desperation, he turns to Jesus. For Jesus is his only Anyone who doesn't follow Jesus thinks that they don't need God. People who don't follow Jesus, they think that, I don't need God. I don't need to believe in that, that weird stuff that they talk about. They can't even see the thing that they sing about or talk about or pray about. I don't need anything about that. I've got everything together. But how true is it though when hard moments come, when difficulties or hardship arise, that God or church is the first, is the place that people often turn to. They live their lives thinking, I don't need Jesus, I don't need that God stuff. And then when crisis hits, and they've tried and explored everything, well, actually, maybe, maybe I should go and try that God stuff. That's what we see happen here. Friends, because deep down, no matter how much we think we can do in this life on our own, we know that ultimately we have limits. We have frailties. Thank the Lord that there is one more powerful than us. But friends, the reality and the truth of the gospel is this. That we all desperately need Jesus. Some of us just know it. Some of us are oblivious to it. But the truth of the gospel is that we all desperately need Jesus. It doesn't matter how much money you have, how great your job is, how amazing your family is, how good looking you are. It doesn't matter what you think you know. The truth is that you need Jesus. For without him, we are dead in our sins, but by him and because of him, we are able, when we have faith in him, to be called the righteousness of God. We're saved by him. And often moments come that make us realize just how much we need him, just how much that we need Jesus. And maybe you're sitting there thinking of that very moment. Maybe it was the moment that led you to church. Maybe it was the moment that led you to faith, that you had a crisis in your life. I often speak about there being two roads that we journey in this life, Christian's journey. We have the road to Emmaus, where we kind of slowly plod along, and then all of a sudden, it's like the scales fall and our hearts burn within us, and we think, man... This stuff's all true. But then we also have the road to Damascus. And it's like just a blindness, like running into a brick wall, and we have a crisis, and something takes place. His only hope was Jesus. It didn't matter how high up he was in the synagogue or his status or anything like that, he was hopeless without Jesus. And in these verses that we've read this morning and we've thought about last week and this week, we see the two ends of the spectrum in 
that day in that society. We read last week about this woman who has been bleeding for 12 years, and we thought about how she was such a social outcast, and she would have been neglected, and you know, we're, we're not even told her name. Did you notice that? We're not even told her name. That's how unimportant she was in that day. She was such a social outcast. We don't even know her name. And we have Jairus, who would have walked about the streets with a puffed out chest and ruler of the synagogue, and he had it all together, they thought. Here's the beauty of the gospel. Both needed Jesus. It doesn't matter where you are in this life. It doesn't matter whether you're high-flying or you're living on a street. The reality is we need Jesus. And the truth and the beauty of the gospel is that both could come because of faith. And Jairus begs him to come and help, and Jesus agrees. And if you were here last week, we saw that Jesus' journey to the house was interrupted by this lady who had been bleeding for 12 years, where she grabs onto the hem of Jesus' garment, and she is healed of her bleeding. And let me read in verse 49. And this, these verses that we've read, they're a bit of an emotional roller coaster. You have Jesus being sent away, and then the crowds come, and oh, they're so glad. And then all of a sudden, Jairus comes, and, and we read about his daughter, and then we see this poor woman who comes, and she, she's healed, and then oh, that's amazing. And then all of a sudden, we hit verse 49 again, and the roller coaster seems to go back down, where we read that while he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. Jesus, don't waste Jesus' time anymore. It's too late. She died. It's done. Took too long to come. I'm really sorry, Jairus, but your only daughter, she's now died. Can you imagine what that must have felt like for Jairus? The deep pain on that must have taken over his whole being. I was so close. I had Jesus come into the house. I've seen what he could do. I've seen him. I've seen him change people's lives. We've seen him. I've just seen him heal this lady who had an issue of blood for 12 years. And my daughter, she's only 12 years old. But I'm too late. And in verse 50, Jesus says, after hearing this, do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. Jesus speaks right to Jairus' heart. Friends, this morning, every morning we gather, I don't ever want our sermons to be an intellectual lesson, lesson that massage our brains. It's great to learn. But friends, what we need is we need the gospel and the word of God to penetrate our hearts. That's when it makes all the difference. And Jesus speaks right to Jairus' heart and he says, do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. Friends, we often think that bravery is the opposite of fear. It's not. Bravery is not the opposite of fear. The Bible tells us that the opposite of fear is what? Jesus doesn't say, Pull your socks up, Jairus. Get brave. Put your brave pants on. The opposite of fear is faith. 
Do not fear, only believe. Do not fear, but have faith. Friends, fear is falling into believing the lies of the devil. Faith is standing sure on the promises of God. Like I said, this isn't about head knowledge. And friends, if we want to be a biblical church, if we want to truly be a church that follows Jesus the way the Bible commands us to, we have to get past this thinking that this is some sort of you know, fuzzy, warm social gathering that where we just learn about some good morality or something like that, where we come for a nice warm cup of tea. Yes, we get all those things and that's great, but friends, it's more than that. It's so much more than that. And if it's not, I don't want to be here. It's so much more than that. Do not fear, but believe. Have faith. This is all about Jesus. What Jesus is saying to Jairus, don't listen to what they've just said to you, but hear what I'm saying to you. Listen to my voice. Don't listen to the crowds. Don't listen to the servant that's come from your house. But Jairus, I need you to hear what I'm speaking into your life in this very moment. Believe. Have faith. Trust me, know me, follow me, come with me, Jairus. We're a people of faith. And we aren't shaped by what we see. For we live by faith and not by sight. And I know things for, for many of us in our congregation look bleak and are hard and difficult. And we've touched on that and we know it's true and we know it's painful. But we don't live by what we see. We don't live by sight. We're called to live by faith. So don't fear this morning, Sandy Hills. Only believe. Have faith in Jesus. So often, we allow what's going on around us to shape us and change us and, and guide what, how we respond and, and how we react. But as we thought about a few weeks ago, look up. Trust, have faith that ultimately, because of Jesus, we're secure. My salvation is not in what I do, and it's not earned by me. It's a gift that comes from God through faith. Belief. It's by bending the knee to Jesus. And do you see the lie that the enemy speaks to Jairus in verse 49? The lie that the devil tells so many times to people who are turning to Jesus. And maybe you've even heard this lie yourself. So often when we begin to turn to Jesus, we, he places doubt in our head. It's too late for you. It's a lie. So the devil is saying here, Jairus, it's too late. It's done. Turn back. As long as there is breath in our lungs, there is time for us to put our faith in Jesus. I don't care what you've done, where you've been, who you are, what the world says about you. What I know is that God's grace is sufficient. And that any who turn to him in this life in faith, that ultimately will be well. Stop living for this world. Now, that doesn't mean that all our infirmities will be healed in this life. We pray for healing, absolutely. We're commanded to, and we want to see God heal people in this life. Praise the Lord when he does it. We want to see it happen. But ultimately, friends, we have to stop living for this world. 
This isn't it. There is so much more in store for God's people. And that praise song that I can't, it's been in my head for the last year or so, I've got a home in glory land that outshines the sun. Do you believe that this morning? And if you do, don't fear, but have faith that ultimately you can say that all will be well. It is well, it is well with my soul. Only believe. And when Jesus said that to Jairus, what he's saying, he's speaking in the present tense. He saw the fear in his life. He saw the fear and the doubt in his heart. And Jesus speaks to it and says, I want you to make an act of trusting in me now. The faith wasn't there in that moment when Jesus spoke. But he calls it out. Have faith. Put your belief in me. And as they reach the house, understandably, we see that all are mourning and weeping. And Jesus says, do not weep, for she is not dead. Verse 52, but she is sleeping. And we see that they laugh. Now, why, why does Jesus say that? Some people would say that, you know, she's not actually dead, that she's fallen into some sort of coma, but that's not the case. We see, we see the, the, the grief all over these verses, and, and what Jesus is doing is he's speaking euphemistically. Now, what does that mean? It was a very common Jewish practice where, um, and, and it's probably not something that we see present in the east end of Glasgow, and you'll understand what I say in a moment, because in the east end of Glasgow, a spade's a spade, isn't it? When we see something, we name it. Whereas, and there was a Jewish practice where actually they tried to speak a bit milder. They, they tried to use language that probably wouldn't insult or cause um, grief where it was unnecessary. And they would speak a wee bit kindly, more kinder um, rather than harsher. Um, so what Jesus is doing is he's using words that, 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 that wouldn't cause offense or upset in this um, case. I'll give you an example of, of what that would look like. Big boned. We all know what big bone means, don't we? We know what it means. When we say that someone's big boned, what we're saying is that they're maybe carrying a little bit too much weight. Unless it's me and then it is actually big boned. <laughs> but what Jesus is saying here is that she's not dead as in she's gone forever. I've turned up and I've got power over death. I just need to waken her for you. And they laughed. They laughed at Jesus. And in Jesus, we read in verse 54. And we're going to start drawing our thoughts together to a close in a few moments. Verse 54, but he takes her by the hand and he called saying, child, arise. Friends, this wasn't a resuscitation. This was a resurrection. And this morning, I want us to remember that Jesus has power over death. Jesus has power over death death. 1 Thessalonians 4 tells us that for us as followers of Jesus, as the bride of Christ, this is what it says, but we do not want you to be uninformed about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep through Jesus. Where else can we find words like that? That for followers of Christ, we don't have to fear death. It's got no hold on us. We don't have to be afraid of it. Where else can you go in life that says, do you know what, don't fear the grave. Don't fear what comes beyond it. We can't find that peace anywhere else in this world. 
Even the other religions that, that try and speak some sort of semblance of truth, they say, do you know what? Do your best in this life and hope and after when, when you die that you've just done enough. That brings no peace because that's not truth. It's the truth sets you free and the truth is the gospel. And the gospel says that when you're in Christ, you don't need to fear death because Jesus has power over it. He's defeated it. Death has no power over him. Death has never had power over him. He has always been life. That's why we see that in the beginning, there was, there was God and God created. Out of nothing, there was nothingness and God spoke life. Why? Because he is life. Let there be light and there was. Lazarus, come out of your tomb and he did. Little girls arise and she did. He isn't the resurrection and life because he rose again. He rose again because he is the resurrection and life. Death has no power over him. And death has no fear and no hold on us as his followers. Only believe, have faith. Christ, our King, has power over death. That's why we can say this day, not even death can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I read this quote this week. That death is not the extinguishing the light from the Christian. It is putting out the lamp because the dawn has come. Isn't that beautiful? That death is not extinguishing the light from the Christian. It is putting out the lamp because the dawn has come. Because we've got a home in glory land that outshines the sun. Little girl, arise, and she did. And he then told him to feed this little girl. And he charges him not to tell anyone. Keep it to yourself, he says. Don't tell anyone yet. The time was coming, but it wasn't then. But the time has come now, friends. And we as followers of Christ have been charged and given the great commission to proclaim his brilliance, his splendor, and his power. His power even over the grave. That we can say to people in this life, if you put your hope and trust in Jesus, you don't need to fear death. Because you too can say that I have a home in glory land that outshines the sun. Death tried to snuff him out, but he rose again. And we can stand because of his triumph saying, Death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? Friends, for the one we love, the one we worship, the one we follow, the one we trust and have faith in, he is the lion and the lamb. He has conquered the grave. He has risen. He has ascended. He sits at the right hand of the Father. And he is forever praying for you. And he is preparing a place for you. And he will return. And he will take you to be with him. And if you pass away before that time, what the Bible tells us is, you've just fallen asleep in the arms of Jesus. That death isn't the extinguishing of the light for the Christian. It is putting out the lamp. Because the dawn is going to come. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you for your power. We thank you that the grave couldn't hold you. We thank you that death couldn't defeat you. We thank you that sin no longer has a hold on us because we've been washed by the blood of Jesus. God, I thank you for your power over death. We thank you for the faith of the woman and Jairus, Lord. This morning, Lord, we come to you ourselves. And Lord, maybe this morning we're dead in our sins and we say, Jesus, I want to put my trust in you. 
I want to be a person not of fear, but of faith. We thank you, God, that you say that faith the size of a mustard seed. So, Lord, call, just as you called that girl and you said, little girl, arise. May we hear that effectual call from you this morning, that call to yourself. Come to me and be my son. Come to me and be my daughter. Sons and daughters, have no fear. Continue to put your faith in me. Trust in me. God, we thank you for what you're doing. For we ask these things in your precious name. Amen.